Since the 2016 election, an unsettling sense of urgency has hung in the air. Crises unfold on the news like reality TV show dramas. The chaos of the last two years has generated a momentum of its own, leaving the audience breathless and whiplashed. When it comes to immigration, this pattern follows. Executive order, lawsuits, injunction, tweet, repeat. It's practically impossible to keep up with. Even as focused as the country has been on the U.S.-Mexico border, the coverage misses how enduring these problems are and how long people on the borderland have been fighting. Many people we met in El Paso remarked how the town served as a test kitchen for a range of policies now enacted by the federal government. There are new emergencies today on the border, but there is also a track record for local organizations to draw on as they confront the evolving threat, aware they're in for the long haul. With this outlook, activists and organizers dig in. They go beyond reacting to headlines and instead build out a foundation for withstanding future challenges for the purpose of shifting the culture and the consciousness of immigrant communities on the border. This work, the real work of building, is slow. An expensive bet on long-term, long-odds payoff, person-to-person and face-to-face. Relationships form based on trust and common cause. Communities are built from the inside by rallying one person at a time over a cup of coffee. And maybe it doesn't work every time, but hope persists. After witnessing illegal practices by Border Patrol, Fernando Garcia joined a small working group of organizers that eventually became the Border Network for Human Rights, or BNHR. BNHR works to build a network of human rights promoters who bring the inaccessible language of domestic and international rights laws into a living room. With 7,000 members across the U.S. borderland, the organization provides support for their members, reports human rights violations, and creates solutions through demonstrations and community advocacy. What I say is that we are not here to see immigrants as victims or as clients or as... I think we are, we are an organization that has different kind of goals. And the goals is to build a powerful community organizing process that can change reality. And when I, when I say realities can change reality locally, nationally, and, and, and probably is part of a social movement that is going to change America. So it, for, for us, this is not just a, it's not a, it's not a job. It's not a service. It's, it's, this is this is my life. This is what I believe, and this is what I believe. Not for the families that I believe for myself and for my family and for the society. So I'm not giving. I mean, my work is the extension of what I believe, and, and not the opposite. On a bright and breezy evening, we sat in on a meeting with Soñando Juntos and shared dinner with their members. Ursula, a founding member of this chapter of United We Dream shared with us the mission of Soñando Juntos and her own journey to becoming a community leader. Soñando Juntos is an affiliate of United We Dream, the national immigration organization. My name is Ursula Avila, that is U-R-S-U-L-A. Ursula is a dreamer. When we spoke to her in May, Congress was trying and failing to respond to President Trump's decision to rescind DACA. Amid these challenges, both Soñando Juntos and BNHR are working to raise consciousness in the community. So we didn't really have much of an immigration organization to bring it all together here in El Paso. And you think we should because it's the border and, you know, it's everyone here knows an immigrant or is descendant from an immigrant or is ourselves an immigrant. So when Soñando Juntos started, it was with the idea that 
we should bring that kind of culture to El Paso, the culture of not only speaking out against what you believe is wrong, but also informing your community and, you know, bringing it all together. So when, when the organization... As one might expect, the reality of collective action is difficult and dangerous for undocumented immigrants and involves changing narratives embedded in the history and culture of the border. Organizers and activists like Ursula and Fernando face setbacks and struggles that often make their work seem like an uphill battle. But the mission and dreams of the organizations lead to resilience in the face of stigma and complacency. We have found out that El Paso is really hard to recruit and it's partly, I think, the culture. We have taboos, so if you don't talk about that or you know, you kind of accept it, this is your position, do the best you can for you and your family. But we're trying to break that taboo and we're trying to, you know, fight against it and, you know, tell people you have to stand up for your rights. You have to, you know, talk about things that matter to you. And so what we're doing is uh, we, we have hosted several um, community meetings and people do care about issues like this. Just a lot of people are not really aware, you know, more and so lately with... Um, President Trump rescinding DACA and making life more harder for immigrants, it has also brought more of a light on us and people know a little bit more and they do care and they know someone who knows someone who's affected by this. And yeah, a lot of people there, um, you know, come up to us and they're like, I'm an immigrant. I didn't know there was a group that did this. I'm so happy you guys exist. And even if they don't become one of our core members, they come to us and they say, thank you for um, speaking out. And we, we do do that. And most of the time we have media present. So it also comes out, you know, in Univision and, and, and channels that immigrants watch in Spanish. And also I think in our... The model that I was kind of really, if not far, following consciously, uh, but it was there as a model, is the model of uh, this Avon, Tupperware, uh, I don't know if you know them, where they, when you go there, when you go, you go wa to one of those uh, households and, and, and you convince the person there to, to invite the other neighbors, right? So in that case of the Avon and whatever, Mary Kay, whatever it's called, it is to promote a product and to sell. In, this in, in my case, was to actually promote rights. Just the other day, I was actually um, riding the bus from downtown, and I was reading a book by myself, and this man uh, sits next to me and starts talking to me in Spanish, and he's a Hispanic man, and he asked me who I voted for. I don't just come out and say, I'm not a citizen, I can't vote. I don't say that because I don't know what the person's views are. And he was telling me, oh, I'm a lifelong Republican. And I'm like, oh, okay. So who'd you vote for this election? And he was telling me, oh, well, Donald Trump. And I told him, well, was it because he is the Republican Party? Or was it you agree with some of his views? Like, what do you agree on? And, you know, I was just having this convers lovely conversation with this man. Like, we weren't, like, angry or anything. But he agreed on every single point. You know, it, it just hurts having a Hispanic man speaking Spanish to you. I don't think he spoke very well English because I was reading a book in English and he asked me what it meant 
what the title meant. So, you know, it's like, your culture is my culture, yet you want to throw me out of this country that I grew up in my whole life. America has a lot of problems, but it is my home. You know, it is what I've known my whole life. Knowing that there's more of us that are thinking of a fit in a better way and hoping, we're all hoping for a better tomorrow and a better tomorrow after that one and etc. The first books that I read uh, were books about education and, and also books about justice. And for example, one of them, you, you might sound crazy, but I think what I got from Don Quixote, for example, is that there's two ways to see life in society. is to see life in society as it is, which all of your problems and issues and, and suffering and all of this, or see society and life as, as it should be. One day, suddenly, I was just sitting down and there was two little girls, probably seven, a seven-year-old and a 13-year-old. They were cleaning the shoes of everybody in the, in the subway, asking for a peso. I mean, the, the first thing was like, what are those children doing here? I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't they be at bed, having dinner, getting ready for the next day to go to school? I mean, that was, I don't know how. It I came here when I was six. So six is old enough to understand you're different if your parents tell you so and they tell you, you know, we're not gonna talk about this, you're not gonna tell anyone, but you're born in Mexico and we're, we're gonna live here. So six is old enough to understand that you speak Spanish and you're about to learn a whole new different language. So you're, you're gonna have an accent, you're gonna be different, but because I didn't know anyone else like me, even though, you know, logically there was a lot more people like me. It was a conversation I wasn't having with anyone, not even my closest friends, you know. It was just, like, really, it was a closet I was in. And I'm also part of the LGBT community, so I felt like I had to come out of two closets, and they're both very different but similar also because when I came out as bisexual, it was something that I found out as I grew up, you know. But it, being immigrant is something I always knew you know, you're different, you're, you have to accommodate to a different culture while still, you know, having your own, still speaking Spanish, still having your own culture, but assimilating to America. So, yeah, growing up was... It, it is possible to imagine a society where, where children don't have to actually go to, to bed without having a dinner or, or having... I mean, it's possible to do to really build that society that we want. So I think Border Network is a little piece of that society that we want in more than anything. The people that has to build it is the people that is being impacted by these, these dramatic systems. The change that Fernando and Ursula envision cannot be achieved by themselves. This kind of fundamental change that realizes the rights of all and makes space for hope may only be achieved by mobilizing communities. They face the same threats many generations on the border have faced, but together they stand to change their reality. You know, me personally, I tell my parents what I'm doing and they tell me that's dangerous, don't do it. You're outing yourself, you're talking to the media, you're giving interviews, 
don't do that, it's dangerous. But I tell them, you know, who else is going to do it if I don't? This is America the Borderland, a moral courage project. In our next episode, we will hear from Tonita, who is fighting gentrification in El Paso's oldest neighborhood. Aquí estoy, aquí estoy. Si pierdo, pierdo luchando. I'm Myra Baeza. This episode was written by Rachel Carr and engineered by Tom Amrine, with music by the Chamanas, and special thanks to Manuel Calderon. Our producer is Joel Proust, and our associate producer is Rachel Carr. Find us across social media platforms and online at americatheborderland.org. We'll drop our last episode on Friday. If you enjoyed this one, subscribe, share it with a friend, and leave us a review. 